Welcome to the Waste Not Want Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild our relationship with nature, revitalizing our natural resources by minimizing waste and maximizing human potential. I trust you'll discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future that you can then cultivate and transform to suit your own lifestyle so we can collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. If you know someone who will make a great guest or want me to cover a specific topic, then feel free to email me on info at You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. Hello, Wastebusters. Welcome to episode 10. Wow, that's exciting. I'm into double figures now. Today's episode focuses on building courage and tenacity to share your knowledge and wisdom to create the world you want to be a part of. It's all about amplifying your voice to make changes, connecting with like-minded people to add momentum to what's important to you. Like those who campaigned and won the recent battle to ban shark fishing in Hawaii and those who campaigned and got 246 square kilometres of marine protection for Isla Ajay in Colombia, protecting ocean life including humpback whales, critically endangered large-toothed sawfish, migratory shorebirds and several species of sea turtles, as well as helping the livelihoods and well-being of the local community. There's also the campaigners who won a court bid by Australian company Searcher who wanted to continue seismic survey activity off the west coast of Australia. Then there's the campaigners who took on Monsanto who pleaded guilty to 30 environmental crimes including two felonies for having a banned chemical on Maui. Then there's the big organisation Greenpeace and the one here in New Zealand who are campaigning for a global plastics treaty. Now I like this because it has compelling grounds um, for Coca-Cola to switch to refill and reuse systems and reduce single-use plastic. It's also about holding countries accountable for managing their own waste as well as keeping oil and gas in the ground. Moving on to my guest today, who is a vibrant woman who has walked many paths throughout her career. She studied international development and human rights and has a master's in environmental studies. She's held roles as an outdoor recreation facilitator, political candidate, author, blogger, podcaster, professional speaker and business entrepreneur, as well as being mum to three children. Natalie Cutler-Welsh has ingeniously weaved her knowledge and experiences into a role she's created as the go-to girl, a fitting title for someone who's supercharged with the skills and personality to bring out the best in people and show them how to amplify their very own talents. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, It's really lovely to have you. And now I'm intrigued with all the knowledge that you've acquired over the years. What aspirations did you actually have at school or even younger? Oh, interesting. You know, I was going to do a little post the other day, things you never knew about me. I used to want to own a pet shop when I was little. That was like, I really love animals. And that was my thing, which a lot of people would be surprised at because I don't do anything at, at the moment related to that other than being a business owner. Um, So, but back in the day, I'm going to go probably as back as high school really was the time for me when it was 
I guess it was really, I want to save the world. And, and nowadays I try not to use the lingo of save the world so much, although at the moment it it, it wouldn't hurt. Um, (laughs) But it really was coming from a place of, you know, I was in the Gaia club, I was in Amnesty International and I was, I was just really caring about when I look back, it was human rights. It was caring about um, everyone having a voice and being listened to and, Um, I know not everyone wants to stand at the front of the room or be a leader as such, but I do believe everyone is the leader of their own life. And I think for me, that probably started back in high school with everything from shopping in the pre-loved, you know, thrifting as they call it these days. Um, all that really just trying to be environmental and social justice. So what did you actually end up doing when you left school? I went straight to uni. And so I come from Canada and I studied what was called academia. It was this program of of arts and science combined. But what I ended up following was international development. It was known as like third world studies back then and human geography, which is basically looking at where people decide to live and why and societies and communities. So which is so fascinating. Now, looking back, I don't exactly do those things, but a lot of those things are coming up for me more and more in the work I do today. Wow. In what way? In really speaking out for like looking at um, colonization of countries and and leadership and (laughs) dictatorship and and all sorts of things. So it's really fascinating looking at the way that we as a society develop um, or evolve over time and how we face challenges, how we create challenges, how we respond to pressures in our life. So it really, I look back going, oh, I, maybe I, I would have loved to have studied psychology, really. Yeah. I would have loved to, at one point, I really thought I would have been great in jur- journalism and media. At the moment, I'm not loving those two areas, but they, you know, there is a place for, for stories to be told and, and, you know, people to have an opportunity to share their views. And that's the stuff that I care about. And I think, you know, stories to be told, it's a big one because with the podcast, one of the things that struck me, because I've been stalking you for years and we've, um, we did meet on a course, I can't remember when it was, it's five, six years ago or something, but you, I think it was in November last year, you put up um, a video about, about your background and yeah. it's important, I think, for people to understand where we come from, you know, that old age old phrase about walking in somebody else's shoes. We're all entitled to our opinions and things, but don't shove it down other people's throats. And the important thing whatever's going on is to be compassionate about where that person comes from and what has affected them with their choices and their opinions and things like that. It's an absolute biggie. So what did you actually end up doing once you, because you say you're a Canadian, right? So how did you end up in New Zealand? The the simplest way to say it is um, my parents are Kiwis. My grandparents and my great grandparents are Kiwis. My parents got married Um, after my dad was in the Olympics representing New Zealand in the steeplechase, they got married and he was a surgeon. So he had to go and train overseas. So they chose Toronto and they went for five years for him to train. And they ended up staying for 35 years. And while they were there, they had three beautiful daughters and I'm the middle child. And so I ended up being born there, growing up there, living there until I was 23 which is when I came to New Zealand to discover my heritage uh, by myself, not as a, we didn't move as a family. So I came as a I finished uni, had a couple months at home, came to discover my heritage for one year and stayed. And I've only been back twice and now I'm 48. So whoever's good at math can figure all that out. <laughs> 25. <laughs> Numerous well, years. So was it just meeting your um, husband that um, kept you in New Zealand? 
Um, the reason I'm pausing is my husband is genetically Canadian, French Canadian, his grandfather. He was born in the UK. He grew up in Australia. So neither of us are Kiwis. So we kind of probably kept each. It was more, I kept him here. I, I would imagine because his family's in Australia. My family by that time had all moved over to New Zealand. Uh, I do have a sister in America. So I didn't stay, you know what I mean? I did meet the man of my dreams. Yes. And we did get married. I don't know if that's why I didn't go back. Who knows? But my family's here. So going back to what you're talking about, about um, different countries and then the geography and being a human ecologist, it's about resonating with um, our environment. And I know I came over here 20 years ago on holiday mm. and I got off the plane and went, wow, this feels like home. Um, and you know, it took two years and then I emigrated out here kind of thing. So um, was there something that you really loved about New Zealand that actually kept you here? Because I had been here many times. So growing up, we would come over every five years for a couple of weeks. And so I had been here many, many, many times over the years, but not for long and never, it was never home um, because it was always a holiday. And so I think when I came, I, I wasn't blown away with going, oh my God, I landed or, oh my <laughs> gosh, I'm not going back. I loved Canada. I had great times there and great friends there. So it just, life just unfolds. Yeah. Life just yeah. unfolds. Yeah. Mm. So talking of unfolding, what unfolded for you once you got to New Zealand so far as life, your own lifestyle was concerned? Well, the reason I came was to discover my heritage, but you know, I love to study. So I was studying outdoor recreation and leadership management with a under whatever in business administration. So I, I really, I was, I was a rock climber. I was a kayaker. So we were, I was doing outdoorsy things and I was using the outdoors as a medium to help people with people, personal growth and development. So I love people and I love reflection and insight and learning, which anyone that knows me will not be surprised. So here I was at the age of 23, learning how to rock climb for the first time, because we don't really, we didn't do it in Canada the way they do it here. So young and really struggling with fear of not so much failure, but injury. I was so scared. I'm not scared of heights, but I was just like, I, it was interesting because I'm quite small and I'm quite strong but I found the rock climbing very hard and also the kayaking. I just was scared I was going to die. So it's like, it, you know, these are real life challenges and risks. Um, so I did love the outdoors. I did go on to do some multi-sport. You might've heard of the Southern Traverse, which is a five day multi-sport adventure race. So I've done some cool things. And I also worked at Outward Bound, which is amazing. And I would love it if every Kiwi was, had the opportunity to go, whatever age they are. But I for me- Oh, goody. It wasn't outward bound, but um, when she left school, she wasn't quite sure what she was going to do. And she's really into hockey and sporty. And like you, she's lit and me, she's really little. And so she did a four month course in Christchurch, which when the earthquake went off, I can remember her phoning me. That was awful. Um, and so she, one of the first things she did was rock climbing as well. Interesting, eh? <laughs> I used to, I actually used to be a tutor there. I used to do their environmental education because I went on to do a master's because I love to study um, in environmental education. So I actually ended up tutoring at the, at the Christchurch campus there with the outdoor rec. So maybe she was my student. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, fantastic. So environmental, so you went, so you were teaching what aspect of environmental studies? Well, looking at the impact of humanity on the environment, how can we be more environmentally friendly, that type of thing. Because I know now that you're really into about not wasting our potential, just like the whole purpose of this podcast. And it's also about not wasting our resources. So do you see a parallel between the two? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's taking what we've got been given, you know, resources, taking what we've been, or as a person, the gifts we've been given. Mm -hmm. And uh, I use the word maximizing your superpowers a lot, but, you know, really just sharing those gifts with the world. Um, and in terms of the environment, give, taking the resources and the gifts we've been giving, given and making sure that we share them <laughs> with other people and that we don't you know, trash them and run out of, of goodness. So I've always had a veggie garden. I've always had compost bins. Um, that's just been, you know, we, we've always just done that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a cyclic thing, isn't Stop it? Shopping. It's, yeah. And it's, um, I guess doing the outward bound stuff as well. It's like, you must have met people, um, from all walks of life and personality types. So, how do you get the best out of somebody who is slightly introverted and unlike yourself and I, who are quite vociferous? <laughs> uh, well, I guess you, there's lots of opportunities there. I mean, in the outdoors, what I often found, especially with, with Outward Bound, it's a three-week program. People would come thinking, oh, solo is going to be the hardest thing for me, right? The alone time. Or, oh my gosh, you know, the... Um, the ropes course, that's going to be, and it's so fascinating to see that the thing that they think is going to be the most challenging is usually not the thing that challenges them the most. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes for an introverted person, the thing that's more challenging might be asking for help or actually interjecting and speaking their opinion, especially if their opinion is, is not what everyone else thinks. So let's say they're doing a team building exercise and they have to get from A to B and they only have so many logs or whatever they're doing. Um, or they're tramping and so-and-so is really tired and they have to divvy up the pack, you know, whatever it is. Um, and for an introverted person actually saying, Hey, I've guys, I've got an idea or, Hey guys, I think we're going the wrong way down this, you know, down the mountain, right. Yeah. That's going to be probably for that, possibly for them, a bigger challenge than things like the kayaking or the, the, whatever it might be, the, the marathon that everyone, the half marathon that we do at the end of the, mm -hmm. of the course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the biggest challenge sometimes for people that are confident and enthusiastic and outgoing like you and me, sometimes the biggest challenge is just to be like, but right, stop talking, <laughs> let someone else step up, let someone else, you know, yep. share their yep. views. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, and I do, that kind of brings me on to um, how we suppress ourselves in order to fit in. Have you, what is the biggest challenge that you think? that people are facing today particularly with the environment that we've got you know there are so many opinions and things but and we're scared of speaking up um because we might be knocked sideways or not valued for our opinion yeah i mean suppression is the key word i think for a lot of people human nature like no one wants to look like it like you know, like an idiot, right? So yeah. throughout most people's lives, they often, I think, will curate what they say or who they are or how they show up because they don't want to look, they either don't want to stand out or they don't want to look bad. They just don't want to look bad. That's, you know, it's, it's the ego, it's self-protection. But I think, especially in the environment that we're in, as you and I record this, is there's a lot of suppression and self-suppression and it's self-protection, right? Because they feel like, I don't want all the eyes like lasers pointed at me. And I did have a conversation with my husband last week. And I said, Hey babe, you know, the thing is not everyone is comfortable in the line of fire. I mean, I'm not looking for a fight, but if there's something that needs to be said, I'm more than happy <laughs> to stand up. Or if there's someone that is really struggling or yeah. being picked on like yeah. legit, if, the, if there's someone in the grocery store and someone says something mean to them or in the 
parking lot and some kid is getting hassled, I will definitely be the one to step in. Not a problem. But not everyone feels like they they have the whatever you want to call it, confidence, yeah. stupidity to step in and, and do things or to speak their their truth or speak their opinions. And I feel like in this environment we're in, suppression has become the norm, sadly, but it's shifting. It's definitely shifting. Yeah. Yeah. So have you experienced any any of it for yourself? Oh, yeah. I had um, two bullying experiences. So like I said, I'm 48 and I never really knew what people were talking about when they talked about high school and mean girls and things like that until I was 48. And I really experienced bullying probably for the first time. So and that really came as a result of me expressing very conservatively, I might add, some of my views on the whole like C and B situation. I'm not sure what we're allowed to say. So, you know, and I was very conservative and yet I got flack and um, I got told that I handled it you know, very diplomatically by people that were actually reading other people's comments. But I really got some friends messaging me privately or messaging me in a group where they should have probably messaged me privately um, and just just making some comments. You know, oh, I thought you were all about being kind and helpful, environmentally friendly. I'm just going to remember you like that instead of how you are now. And I was like, what are you talking about? So and then recently, very recently, last last week, in fact, I had another bullying experience where a lot of women jumped on the old bandwagon. So you really see that pack mentality come through where people feel comfortable to um, trash talk is the way I would say it. Somebody else, especially online, not in real yeah. life, not to their yeah. face. Yeah. When other people are they're just chiming in and just adding yeah. like another log to the fire, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think it got to the fifth thing that they had said about me or about my kids in this group and people were sending me screenshots and I was like you know what okay <laughs> okay and the thing we they say about Canadians is we're really nice and we're really polite it's very true to a certain point but if you push us too far and we we saw this with the Canadian convoy two weeks ago or last week if you push us too far we will speak up and stand up and that's exactly what i did interestingly at the same time in my own little world with my local women that were were bullying me and it actually it made me shine brighter it made me feel more empowered instead of walking around embarrassed going oh gosh i hope nobody saw those comments i was like you know what I feel like I stood up not just for myself, but for anyone who was coming behind me that was maybe going to get shamed or trash talked because these women didn't agree with their points of view. Yeah. I, I really felt empowered. It was it was quite an interesting experience. So really, I mean, I mean, it is interesting watching the social media and the way that people are not backward in coming forward in, in chiming things, but it's like... Um, take it away from the internet in everyday life how do we mm. empower people not to suppress what's important to them I I don't know I would have said you know six months ago if you push people far enough everyone has a line right a line in the sand or a line that if you cross it they'll stand up they'll speak up I've just seen so many people step aside so many people on the sidelines so many people yeah. being bystanders and I don't mean that in a judgy point the finger way but I think many people would probably agree, like the people on the sidelines would probably agree. Like, I, you know, they, they maybe looking back, they'll be like, oh, I wish I had said something. Like I really wanted to. I have a, I had so many people message me, hey, Nat, I don't really feel comfortable commenting on the thread 
because I really don't want the, the you know, to get attacked. Like, and I get that. I'm like I said, not everyone's comfortable in the line of fire. I honor that. I just thank them. Thank you so much for, you know, having the courage to message me privately. It's your comments that really help me to be stronger and to, to do my thing. So I don't think everyone has to be in the limelight grabbing the microphone or, or anything like that. It's not everyone's um, path, but everyone, I think hopefully when they're pushed enough, will stand up for what they believe in, in a way that feels right to them. I think it's, it's a support and compassion, isn't it? For everybody's different perspective and allow, without that judgment. Um, and as you said, right at the beginning, it's really all about protecting ourselves. Um, and so, but if we go right back to the very beginning where we were talking about um, all your fantabulous skills and things and how you have brought in various aspects, because now you're an entrepreneur and you help people amplify their message and not to suppress their gifts and things like that. So when did you realize that all this learning, um, the knowledge and weaving in all the um, experience that you'd had, because you kind of created your role within your business has kind of morphed over the years, hasn't it? And you, it gets more and more defined. I think I can say the same for myself with the waste side of things. It's like, I have a love of both the environment and people's potential and personal growth with a background in psychology, but it's like, how do I bring this together? and opportunities arise how did you what was it that happened for you was there a catalyst and how did where do you see yourself going from here yeah well like I've got this little award sitting here that I wanted to mention because I know you're you're very enthusiastic this is the enthusiasm award that I won in grade seven which was 1986 back in back in Canada so and that's carried through everything I've done but with my business energy when people say oh you know what what is of what would they affiliate me with energy and enthusiasm right and and because i think a lot of people are nervous to put themselves out there in a marketing perspective in a in an offer perspective letting people know how amazing their products or services are and i'm such a cheerleader that i just like help them to shine and shine brighter that enthusiasm right has been my superpower the whole way through um, and even though the focus has changed, like I don't really teach outdoorsy things anymore, but all of that is just part of, of where I've ended up. But the interesting thing is you mentioned that video that I recorded my backstory. Um, a lot of it, you know, I, I actually was in politics. I mean, I stood, I was a candidate in, in, uh, 2005 for the green party. And I was right up there, like Leon Delzell, Megan Woodhouse. I was on the panel, you know, that's where I learned how to speak and be interviewed and think on my feet and do Q and a interestingly. And then, you know, five, six years later, I'm a speaker coach and I'm standing on stages and I'm not talking about politics, but I'm talking about empowerment and courage and compassion and, and bravery and things like that. So it's all, it all becomes part of the journey and where you end up. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I find I've worked in um, radio. I was actually crikey 31, two years ago on the little old Isle of Wight in England. Um, I was part of a small team of three, which who um, applied and won the franchise to start the first radio station on the Isle of Wight sort of thing. So, um, and I can remember those were back in the days and I also worked for TV as well, where nothing was digital. And so any recording was on a reel to reel machine where you had to cut things, <laughs> physically cut things and stick them together. <laughs> and then with the TV, you had to, I had to arrange for couriers to go and pick up videos from the reporters and things and bring them back to the studio. And it's just amazing how things 
things actually change. But what I'm saying is that because of my experience of um, being in a studio and getting to know people and different sides of the story and thing, I think it's important to bring different aspects of a story because um, there is no one source of truth. <laughs> mm. There are many perspectives to things. And I think for yourself as an advocate, it's sometimes a lot easier to see somebody's gifts. Um, it's hard for people to see their own gifts. And so some, you need someone objective outside who can actually bring that to the fore. And you're extraordinarily good at it as well. <laughs> so when and the, you the other thing that I the other thing that I love doing which is also a gift is connecting people. And so when I learn about people and I just listen to them yeah. and whether we're, we don't, I don't have to be interviewing them, whether I'm just sitting and chatting or messaging with them on, on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. And then I'm like, Ooh, let, you should meet so-and-so let me introduce yeah. you. So, so in, for me, it's, it's doing the stuff that I just naturally do. But of course, you know, being able to make that into a business is, is just the best thing in the world. Absolutely. So what would you say your superpower is? I would say so I'm a super connector. So connecting people. Yeah, is definitely my superpower and hopefully empowering, empowering others to, to speak their truth, you know, to get their message out to the world. Like, I'm like, you have such an amazing message for the world. So much wisdom to share. How can I help you? Like, let's work together to get that out to the world, whatever that looks like. And not everyone wants to be, you know, like you're amazing, right? Doing this podcast. It's a big undertaking. Not everyone's up for that. Not everyone is, that's not everyone's path, but they, in some way, if we can get their message to the world, if they feel like they've got one and they want help with it, you know, that's, that, that, that's what I do. I shine the light. And as I think you said earlier, it's important for people to recognize that everybody's has a contribution to make. Cause I can remember, cause I do equine assisted learning, which is using horses as a, mm. as a mentor, as a facilitator. And they mirror human behavior. And I can remember with this one group that one of the women was not comfortable about being in the arena and being in the thick of it. And they were given a task to build something and get the horses over or something. So she sat on the fence and there was a lot of judgment by her team, her colleagues. And it was so interesting because they appreciated that it was important to have a person on the outside who could see the big picture because they were so stuck entrenched mm. in what they were doing. They couldn't see the other little things that were happening. And that was a massive aha for, for those people to see. So as you say, you don't have to be like in the thick of it in order to create any change or be of value, I think, make your own contribution where that's the pressure from society, isn't it? That you have to follow a set path and you've definitely followed lots of paths. You know, back when you were in um, year seven or at school or something, there's, it would have been hard for you to imagine your role today, wouldn't it? It would, but yes and no. Like, it, it, it totally makes sense to me. I mean, it's it's not super surprising at all to me where I've, where I've ended up. I come from a family of doctors. Everyone's a doctor in my family. And I'm very, yeah. I'm probably the most non- medical, medical person. And so it's not surprising to me that I didn't end up in one of those, you know, traditional roles and that I'm entrepreneurial. I'm the only one in my family that's entrepreneurial. I'm on the only one in my family that's slightly spiritual. <laughs> so yeah, walking my own path. So where do you see yourself going from here? Well, I see, I see, I was just going to say people like the spiritual people, the counselors, the coaches, the healers, 
the light workers, I see them becoming super pivotal in the months to come, the years to come. I see a very different shift in what, who we respect and who we listen to. So a lot of traditional you know, jobs that we would have thought were, you know, we're just going to take them with a grain of salt and other jobs that we would have sidelined are suddenly going to have the respect that they deserve. So that's what I see for, for in the bigger picture. Part of what I see for myself, I do not know. It's evolving and I'm okay with that. I love planning. I love knowing where I'm going, but I am not a perfectionist and I'm very open to come what may and I'm very open to whoever crosses my path and and what, but I always, I always follow the love. If you don't love it, don't do it. Like I, I just, I follow the energy. So I want to tap into my spiritual side. I want to learn how to trust my intuition even more. I probably want to interview a, pe- a few people about holistic health and just share that knowledge with me. What's your understanding of spiritual? I think for me, it would be around like listening to your intuition, knowing that you've got, you know, I would say guides or angels that, that are watching out for you or watching over you and that you can ask for guidance, which I don't feel like I really know how to tap into that much or or listen to. So for me, it will be slowing down, calming down my enthusiasm (laughs) slightly, not watering it down by the way, but just, you know, slowing it down slightly and, and really allowing myself to, to listen and tap into that side. And, and, and just the people that I'm attracting, the clients that I've got now, a lot of them have a spiritual side to their business or their life. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I, they're evolving. I'm, my business is evolving and, and so is the world. And so I think it's, it's a great time for everyone to be open to going within, yeah. but also very, like you said, compassionate. So I think courage and compassion are two critical ingredients we're going to need for the rest of this year. And I think, you know, with all the skills and things that you've learned over time, it's also um, resilience um, and flexibility um, are two huge things as well, um, because it changed, it has changed really quickly, hasn't it? And as you say, yeah, exactly. One of my phrases, you know, my website is upyourbrave.com. So it's, it's upping your brave. We're all going to need to up our brave in some way. And for some people that might be, you know, admitting that they got things a little bit wrong or for other people, it might be asking for help. Like I mentioned before, um, I think we are, or, or just, just being able to dust yourself off and keep moving forward. Um, or being able to acknowledge your emotions and, and acknowledge that you're not feeling great instead of pretending everything's great and shiny. So upping your brave and resilience means lots of different things. And I think we are going to have to be resilient, but it's, it's more than resilient. It's, it's, um, and, and adapt, yes, adaptable and just open to, I think just open, open to learning, open to shifting and changing and helping other people along the way, like putting out our hand and helping others to navigate this very tricky terrain that's coming. Like we've already been in tricky terrain, but it's, it's going to be different, but still tricky, challenging. Absolutely. Maybe not tricky. <laughs> Absolutely. So have you had um, a book or a person who has really influenced you over the years? Yeah, I have had a book. I've got a couple of books, but I'm going to go with the person, which okay. I'm going to say is my grandmother, Joan. So remember, we are Kiwis from, from way back. There. So Joan Hurst um, and Joan Robinson, maiden name. And she was my grandmother and she would come to Canada every year, summer, 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 summer. She would live in Canada for the summer, go back to New Zealand, come back for the summer, the best life ever. And she would always wear white head to toe white, or then she went through a baby blue phase and then, you know, pastel baby blue. Um, But she's 
probably the only spiritual person in my family. And she, we just had this incredible connection. I used to live with her in Queenstown in the summer when I used to guide these bike tours for wealthy Americans. And I would, I would live with her and it was just magic. And when my daughter was six months old, Ruby, I, and my, and my grandmother was very sick in hospital. I took my baby on the plane to Queenstown. I borrowed my uncle's car. They live in Queenstown. I drove to Invercargill and I spent some time visiting, you know, seeing my grandmother, Joan. And like, I'm just so glad I did that. Ruby's 15 and a half now. So that was a long time ago. And I still like get almost teary, even just thinking about it. Like, but I'm so glad I did that. You know, it could have been like, oh no, I'm feeding. I've got a baby. I can't go, whatever. I'm so happy I did that. You know, it was a little bit of a mission, but I'm just so thrilled that I did it. And then when we had baby number two, we named him Jonah. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So you were talking earlier about um, tapping into the more spiritual side of you. So that was an intuition to a certain extent that you probably wouldn't necessarily label it that, but there was some guiding force that felt re really resonated with you. And that was whatever hesitancy you might have had at the time, it, there was actually no obstacle because it made absolute sense to you. Yeah, hmm. fascinating, isn't it? So if you were allowed to have a person and some books, what book would you? <laughs> the book I usually go for is called The Big Five for Life by John Strzelecki. And I read it in 2005, I think it was, when I was working for Energy Mad, this company. And um, it, yeah, and, and it basically was like, what are the five things you want to do, be and have before you die? Right. So it's kind of like a bucket list and it's a business book and it's, 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 it's about business, but the premise of it is that they went into this company where everyone, they had really high staff turnover and no one was really happy in this company. And they made them do this, um, kind of like a dream board on the wall and everyone yeah. identified what's your big five. So everyone would put their big five, all the staff would put their big five on the wall. So now at break time or lunchtime, instead of saying, Oh, how's your report coming along? They'd be like, Oh, I see you want to go skydiving. Like, have you set a date for that? And suddenly they were talking about the big fives. They were helping each other achieve their big fives. They were celebrating their big fives. As a result, as you can imagine, staff turnover totally went down, staff satisfaction went up, productivity, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I don't work in the corporate field, but if I did go into corporates and teach them a bunch of stuff, I would definitely tap into that book. Mm -hmm. Here's another really quick story. John Strzelecki, I love this book so much. I sent him an email. Hey, John, loved your book. Thanks so much. The next day, the phone rings. Hey, Natalie, it's John Strzelecki here, American. Just wanted to let you know, like, thank you so much for your email. I'm so glad you liked the book. He rung me, customer service, A++. Wow. Plus. He rung, and, and honestly, that's probably one of the other reasons, icing on the top, that I love this book so much because I, I had then connected with John a few years later. I wrote my own book and I messaged him and I asked him about self-publishing. So what a cool book. What a cool guy. And what a cool concept. If you work in a company or even just a solopreneur or you don't even have a business, you can write down what are the five things I want to do be an experience in my lifetime. Mm. And then when you have a decision to make, you go, well, does yes or no to this decision head me towards any of the big fives? Yeah. If it's a yes, it's a yes. If it's a no, it's a no. It becomes a decision-making tool. It becomes a compass for your life. And of course you can change what the big fives are. And of course, once you achieve one, you replace it with something else, Yeah. but it's more, way more fun than goals and to-do lists. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I find, you know, um, integrating with that is, um, knowing your own value, what's important to you, your values, that mm -hmm. is a great tool for decision-making as well. And mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned your book. Can you um, mention your book? 
(laughs) I've actually co-authored two books. So this one is a parenting book and um, that's called If Only They Told Me. And we did a podcast as well. And this is recently, this is a book of speakers and it's called Trailblazers. And in this book, my chapter is all about how to win by doing good. Awesome. So is there any type of music that um, either energizes you or calms you down? Oh. I don't need much energizing, but no, you know what I chose? I thought um, anything. So anytime I hear a song from my university years, right? like, oh my gosh. So we're talking 1992, 93, 94, 95, 96, any of those songs. And it's like Pearl Jam and it's Alanis Morissette and it's, you know, a bunch of other stuff. It just takes me right back. And I just had such an amazing time at university in Canada and made so many great friends. And that, I mean, and I love music. I love singing. I'm always singing in the kitchen and things. I used to be in a band, but just that music from my university era. Oh, Love so there's it. another thing. So you say you were in a band. Were you playing an instrument or singing? I was singing. Woo! Hidden talent. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? You know what? I'm going to choose something that I just put on my Instagram. It might be a bit lame to choose my own. It's not really a quote, but it was choose bravery over bullying. And given my experience in the in a couple of times in the last year, and I feel like given a lot of people have been pressured to do things they didn't want to do, like there's been a lot of peer pressure, right? In the last two years. And I feel like choose bravery over bullying is a great, you know, quote for these times. So there you go. The bullying aspect it not may, doesn't necessarily have to be an individual, because if you look at the structures of society, there is an essence of bullying that coercion into following a certain path sort of thing. And so it's really about being brave and being true to yourself, discovering what is important to you. Okay, then to round it off, what one thing would you change in the world if you could and why? Oh, at the moment that I, where I'm at at the moment, because I have some very key uh, men in my life who's don't, who do not see the world the way that I do. And that's been very challenging for me, my dad and my husband um, is, you know, to a certain extent, I would love to flip the switch and just, you know, like it's like turning the lights on in the dark and suddenly it's like, oh my goodness, I did not realize all this stuff was connected. I didn't know. Wow. I I was totally not aware of that. Like so I guess for truth to be revealed is my answer. However, I don't think everyone is ready for that. And so I don't know. And it's not so much I want to be right. I want to be like, I told you so. But I just feel like it is so painful what we are in at the moment globally and also in many households when you don't agree with the person you're married to um, that I just, yeah, I would love, I would just love some truth to be revealed. That takes That's me back to what you said right at the beginning, which is interesting because the quote from last week's um, podcast, he wasn't quite sure what thing, one thing would change, but it was interesting. By the time we got to the end, end of the interview, he was aware of it and it referred back to the beginning as the inspiration. Mm. And I would say for you, it's about justice and human rights, which is what mm-hmm. you said at the beginning, eh? Yeah, sovereignty, human rights, justice, um, accountability. You know, I'm not out to get anyone, but I feel like so many people have been hard done by and hoodwinked. So I would love some truth. If I had a magic wand, that's what I would wish for right now. 
excellent justice and human rights. Let, let's leave mm -hmm. it at that. Thank you so much for your time, Natalie. Wishing you all the best for the future. And no doubt we'll bump into each other again, eh? Thank you so much. It's awesome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Take care. Bye. I realized after I'd finished the interview with Natalie that I'd forgotten to ask her about essential oils, which is something else that she's integrated into the wellness element of her business. So if you're intrigued about an, a holistic way to boost your health, you can find all the details on her website. Now, remember, everything you do think and say has an impact. So in light of that, I'd like to leave you with a challenge to think about what you're consuming. Do you really need it for starters? Ask yourself if it's been made in a way that honours both people and the environment. Support local businesses and buy seasonal goods. And last but not least, think about the longevity of what you're buying and how when it no longer serves you or conks out, are you going to dispose of it? On a lighter note, my guest next week is Joanna Penn, an author, fellow podcaster and creative entrepreneur who will share the way that she went about creating a life she could live on her own terms, doing what she loves most. So until then, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential. <laughs>